I want you to imagine the following. Um, I want you to think about Christian men and women crisscrossing the country, dead set on serving the lost, and wherever they go, strengthening the found. They are resolved to preach boldly, no matter what the cost or opposition. And all along the way, as they're moving about to different places, there are other Christians, other disciples, who act as safe harbors and supply chains for the ministry. Often sharing their stuff, sharing in prayer, sharing advice, sharing uh, in passion, regularly sharing their homes, which would mean that with the opposition, sharing their homes means they're sharing the risk of what's going on. And as a result, thousands, no, millions are coming to Christ, finding freedom from a past that was marked by enslavery to sin and hope for a future that they never thought would be possible in this body of death that they carry around. And as they now walk in the light, they now join the movement, alive and really eternally useful for the very first time. This is the church at her best. This is the church that we read about in the Bible. This is the church that has continued through history. In fact, it's continued through history, and we can actually see nations changed by the church. This is actually the church that we received. It's the heritage we received. It is the legacy that we will leave behind. This is us here this morning. And just how we step into being the church at her best is shockingly simple and incredibly accessible. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. We're working our way through the book of Acts. And as I studied this passage and looked at this passage I just kept seeing a shining example of the bride of Christ. Now, if you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the church, what does that mean? The bride of Christ is the church. And I'm going to use the church most commonly as the capital C church. That is the church eternal, the church worldwide. Not neighborhood Bible church, which is a local visible expression of the church, but the capital C church. Any and all who would uh, be called into the family of God. So the bride of Christ is one of the biblical metaphors that we have for the intimacy. Think about it. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ as being our lover. As being the one that we're bonded to as in a marriage. So here's the context that we're looking at. Paul is wrapping up a missions trip. This is the third one. And he's trying to make it to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. So he can preach the gospel to his beloved Jewish countrymen who will sure to be there. This is sort of like the Jewish equivalent of trying to make it to Times Square by New Year's Eve, right? But instead of showing up and someone pours you a glass of bubbly, puts their arm around you and starts singing for old acquaintance, instead of that, they're trying to kill you. That's sort of the scene that we have, okay? So it's Paul making it to Jerusalem 
for their biggest holiday, Pentecost. And once he gets there, he already knows and other people know that they're trying to kill him. Part of why the backdrop is so powerful is this. Often we think the church at her best requires certain factors that actually don't exist in the Bible. It's like a battle that we're fighting, and we think, what do we need for this battle? And we look at it as hard as we try to look at it through a spiritual eternal lens, we look at it through a fleshly lens. We would need this many people. We would need this tactic. We'd need a certain kind of commanding officer that would, that would inspire the troops. And then God repeatedly does what? Something totally different. Go march around the city and play music. Really? Yeah, do it. Okay. So God has a different way of, of doing things. The church doesn't need peace or comfort or rest to be at her best. None of that is going on in Acts chapter 21. I want to say that again because I think we're deceived by this. The church does not need peace or comfort or rest to be at her best. In fact, quite the opposite is going on. What these Christians have instead is courage, comfort, clear purpose from God, and knowing that they're doing an eternal work. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write three things down this morning. And the first one is this. The church is at her best when she is open-handed. Church is at her best when she's open-handed. Now, when our family is memorizing things um, in our little family living room that we uh, tend to sit at, um, we often come up with hand motions for different things that kind of help trigger our brain for this. And so we're going to have some hand motions this morning, okay? And you might have guessed it, but everyone just take your hands right where you are. Just kind of open them up and let your body posture be open. Oftentimes in prayer and in worship, it's really healthy and good to let your body reflect what your mouth is saying and what your brain is thinking about. God, I am open-handed to some things. Help me live um, sort of detached and open-handed to the stuff of this world. So the church being open-handed is first one, okay? You can stop with your hands if you want. You can leave them there if you'd like. Disciples of Jesus Christ share. Now that is a really, really big word around here. Let me show you a picture. Uh, this is sort of one of, it's, it's such a big word that it's, it's like one of three ideals that we visualize as we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's worship and community and share. We never arrive at any of these, but we're constantly growing up in each of these. To explain this very quickly, the word make disciples is in red. That's because Jesus said it. In your Bible, you have the red letter edition. That's the words of Jesus Christ. That's at the top. That just reminds us that's the mission. That's why we're still here. God still has you here. You're going to be making disciples period. Clear? All right. Worship has to do with this. Uh, the everlasting worship service, by the way, is not this like eternal sing-along once we get to heaven. Some of the musicians would think that's great, but even musicians need a break. The eternal worship service actually begins the moment that you are saved. Did you know that? Like we are already living the eternal life. Because we're going to pass through the doorway of death, but we will never die. That means that the eternal worship service actually begins right now with all of our life. So Jesus calls you and frees you from worshiping all of the creation that you might have given your hope and sacrifice and joy to, and he calls you to himself. And that one switch is what it means to be utterly born again. That means now that in all of life, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. That's worship. 
Community quite simply has to do with this. We are born again, but we're not born again and left on a street corner. We are born again into a family. So we are born again into a community of believers. And if you were to read the Bible and just sort of begin to take a note of all of the one another's that we're commanded to do in the scriptures, there's more than 150 of them. Most of them are positive. Be kind to one another. Consider one another is more important yourself. Some of them are in the negative. Don't defraud one another. You want to know how to live in the family of God? There's whole books on this in the Bible, but begin to look at the one another's. Finally, we say this often, that worship and community have a point, right? We're not just saved to worship God and live in community and endlessly have worship services and potlucks endlessly back and forth until God comes back. No, they have a point. We're called to share. So that's this third aspect of being a Christian. First and foremost, what are we called to share? Well, if make disciples is the number one thing in our life, if the mission of Jesus Christ is the number one thing, then the best thing we could possibly share with someone is the gospel. It's just sharing the good news of of what we've discovered. God's already done things. We want to talk about it. God has done things on behalf of a sinful race who are in grave danger and either don't know it yet or are living in rebellion and denial to their sin. Right? Because sin has a season of where it feels like it's okay. Sin has a season where it's not leading to death. But it always is. It's always working against you. It's always holding you down. So the gospel is just sharing the good news of that. But it doesn't stop with a sermon or words. What we are called to share is not just the good news with our mouth, but the good news with our life. So in essence, Christians are called to share their stuff and their life. The church is at her best when they're open-handed. The church is at our best when we are open-handed. And we see this in the book of Acts. All right, Acts chapter 21, you're there. We're going to just kind of bebop around a little bit through this chapter today. So none of it's going to be on the screen. You need to look at a physical Bible or a digital Bible and find out where we are. Verse 4, look at it with me. Look at the sharing going on here. And having sought out the disciples... Acts 21.4, we stayed there for seven days. Skip down to verse 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. Verse 8, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Verse 16, And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Pause. What I just want to highlight as we sort of pick out, we could just read parts of Acts and just go, okay, it's kind of like a little travel log that Paul's letting us know where he went. I'm not that into geography, so he went here, there, and everywhere, and whatever. But sometimes the throwaway sentences of the Bible are really, really, really instructive. Where do Christians look for help? Other Christians. Where should a disciple of Jesus Christ look for help? They should look to other Christians. Where should Christians who are not need, in need of any help in particular in that moment, where should we begin to look to meet needs? You guessed it, other Christians. We are to serve the household of God. Is that where it should stop? Of course not. 
We are to share and be a blessing out, out there, but it ought to be great. Um, I mean, first and prioritized that we look for each other to meet needs. Over and over and over again, Paul lands in a new place and he finds the disciples. And then he stays with them. It's a repeated process. The work does not go on unless the body, another biblical picture for the church, by the way, unless the body shares resources with the rest of your body. Now, some of these metaphors that God chose to use are just so transferable in any language and any culture. You can't fathom part of your body hoarding resources and keeping it from another part of the body, right? Left side, you were sick last time. You've been sick three times in a row. I'm not helping. Like your body does not do that. It doesn't know how to do that because the body just shares its resources where the need is. I'll say this intentionally firm. If you are not sharing, you are not paying attention. If you're not actively sharing right now, you're not paying attention. Church, God has blessed us to be a blessing to others, not to save up and not to store it for ourselves. Those who don't live under the authority of an all-generous, all-powerful, all-supplying God, they're the ones who want to hoard and save up and store up. Endlessly getting more and more and more storage units in case they might need something. And storage unit can be very physical and actual, like an actual storage unit that you rent and pay money to keep your stuff. Or we can have storage units right inside of us that no one knows about. Little storage units of our heart that we've portioned off and said, yep, I'm not sharing that anymore. Little portions of our brain, our intellectual energy, portions of our time. Little storage units of time that we say, this is my time, me time. So we are blessed to be a blessing. This is how it is from the very beginning. So let me say this. I said that if you aren't sharing, you're not paying attention. If it is willful disobedience, my call to you is to repent. Repent is to change your mind and change direction. God, I'm feeling convicted right now. I have things to share. I repent. I'm no longer going to hoard and keep it for myself. You've blessed me to be a blessing. Man, this starts every opportunity. Every Sunday, there's an opportunity to say money has no rule over me. We teach our kids a sort of base, bottom, uh, sort of starting point of giving to your local church is 10%. In the New Testament, I don't believe New Testament 10% is a required number, but that's a great way to start. And each time you give at church, it's an opportunity for you to say, God, thank you so much for the blessing you've given to me. You own it all. I'm just, I'm, I'm not repaying you. I'm just joyfully giving to your work. I'm so thrilled that there are people that will benefit from this while I'm off making money, that they're using money for the kingdom of God. So if you're willfully disobeying, repent. The beauty of grace is that your, your mercy is new every morning, every hour. You just say, God, forgive me. I see it now. I receive your word to me. But if it's blind distraction, Maybe it's not willful disobedience. It's just been blind distraction. I didn't really know we were supposed to do this or I've forgotten or I've gotten lazy. Then my call to you is activate. Get going. Get moving in something. In fact, I would say this, church, begin hunting for needs. Don't sit passively and wait for needs to come to you. Begin to hunt for them in prayer. Let me say, hunting for ways to contribute won't be hard. You know why? Because needs are abundant and multifaceted. 
and the needs never go away. I'll tell you one of the things that could discourage a pastor year after year after year after year after year after year after year. It's like Mr. Incredible who says, man, I just cleaned up this thing and now there's another mess. Over and over and over again, there are hospitals to be visited, couples to meet with, wayward people, struggling people in their faith, people who are willfully disobedient, causing division in the church. That will never go away. Pray for your pastors because we realize that. We go, Lord, that could be really discouraging, but that's just living in a fallen world. So needs will always be there. Think about a wartime effort for a minute. In wartime, every single person from young to old understands that a wartime is an all-out effort. Everyone has something to contribute. Everyone has something to contribute. I listen to and read a lot of biographies and, and history kinds of things. It's fascinating to just see how people come out of the woodworks to help in the war effort. So it is with us. What is it that we do to help in the war effort? Everyone, hear me, everyone has a way to contribute. I hope that like excites you, ignites you and says, wow, that's, that's right. I believe that. I'm told that from the scriptures. Let me just tell you a couple of um, a couple of ways, in case you're thinking open-handed means, well, I don't have a ton of extra cash or I don't have a ton of extra stuff, so I must be off the hook. Wrong. Here we go. Listen. Time. We're all gifted the same amount of time. Possessions. Passions. Homes. Finances. Participation. Did you know that you showing up to church today is a way of sharing? You're sharing your presence here. Isn't it encouraging to look around and see brothers and sisters with you? I don't know why, but God's given me the gift. If there's two of you here, I could preach with this passion. I'm not sure why. That's just a gift from God. When COVID hit and all my pastor buddies are like, isn't it hard looking into a tiny camera from across the room and preaching? I'm like, nope, it's not. I don't know why. I'm excited to preach whether the house is full or the house isn't. That's kind of a good thing to be a steady pastor, preach in season and out of season. But guess what? When you look around and there's empty seats, I want you to think, man, who else should be sitting in these seats? That's the mindset I want you to have. Right now, our second service tends to be lower attended. Pray for that. Some of you may consider, you know what? I'm going to go to both services. I'm going to even laugh at Dave's jokes twice just to kind of participate. Do it. Just come, just come and do it. So you showing up at community group, you showing up at a Rock for Hume event, man, that was awesome to see that turn out. We have an amazing uh, Wednesday night um, couple seminar going on for four weeks. And uh, Andres had kind of set a, a target goal that we were praying about. I was just actively praying about it. And you know what? God has just like doubled it, basically doubled the amount that we were hoping for. And by showing up, it's like other couples seeing that other couples need input is really encouraging and helpful. So simply participating is a giant thing. The church is at her best when she's open-handed. Instead of my home is my refuge, you know what these Christians in Acts are thinking? Mi casa es su casa, right? All right, translation. What does that mean, Andres? My home is your home. Good. Um, right. He's like, I, don't, I wasn't planning on translating. I don't know. Um, <laughs> this is why some of you don't sit in the front row. I can see you in the back, too. I can see you all the way in the back. I'll call you out. Um, isn't that beautiful, though? Like, not I'm the Lord of my manor, and once I'm here, I close the garage, I get settled, and now this is me time. Instead, just going, no, 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 this, this is, I have a home in the Bay Area. I have a home that can be used for God's kingdom. Over and over again, Paul is staying with people. 
In case you haven't figured this out yet, the Bay Area, San Jose specifically, is a very transient area. Tons of people coming, tons of people leaving. That affords the church a massive opportunity to love in some really tangible ways that we see in Acts chapter 21. Many people are constantly coming here and they feel disconnected. They have little to no family in the area. And so what a role the church can fill. We've never tried to program this. In fact, many things in scripture, don't wait for a program at your church to start for this. Sometimes it's good to get a program going. It kind of calls people to something bigger. But don't wait for a program. Just begin to do this. Start sharing. One really simple idea is that probably most of you, let's just take a quick poll. How many of you plan on eating dinner tonight? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. A handful of you are fasting, evidently. Um, And that's fine. Or maybe you just don't eat a lot of dinner. Here's the reality. Most of you eat every single day. Here's a simple idea. Eat together. Find someone who also is planning on eating and have a meal together. Did you know this is biblical? I mean, over and over and over again, we're actually to break bread with people. We're to feast together. Who says that obeying God has to be a drag? Like, go get some really good food, have some people over, and eat a meal together. That begins to foster this idea of open-handedness. What I want to do with each of these, by the way, I have three things. I want to just, I want to just point out an example. Sometimes this is like uh, thanking people at the Academy Awards. I've never had to do that yet, but you're going to leave someone out. So I'm not trying to leave anyone else. I just want to show you that we don't just read about this in the book of Acts. We don't just see that in Nazi Germany, the church really came together and were open-handed and had all things in common. I want you to see that right now, in possibly ways that are unspectacular to you, and maybe even unseen to you, that the same spirit of the risen Jesus is accomplishing this in our midst. So when I think about um, open-handedness, I immediately thought of two people that came to mind open-homed. Number one is the Golding family. The Golding family has only been with us for a few years. It was sort of like early COVID times or something, and they sat out there, and they just, they, they, they're kind of like us. They show up at a church, they make a splash. Like, there's just a lot of them, and, and they were there. And I, just this week, I didn't get a chance to be at Harrison's last Sunday, so I texted him, like, hey, can I pop by? I just want to say hi. He's like, yeah, sure, come on over. So I walked over, and typically, their front door is open. So guess what? Their front door was open. So this is the kind of relationship I have. They've never countered me on this, so I think it's okay. But I walked in, and I just said, knock, knock. I didn't hear anything. So I walked right into their house. I mean, it's open. Like, I could be the FedEx guy, and I could come walking in. And when I came in, I just saw some of the family there, and I was greeted warmly. It wasn't like, what are you doing in my home? Get out. Like, wait for me to answer the door, Dave. It's not like that. A second family is the Pitigore Aaron family. Gria is one of our elders. Jamie and Gria are very active here. And um, we have huge news to celebrate. Um, They are, according to Gria, the last final thing happened. And according to Jamie, it may not have happened. So there might be some marriage counseling coming up. I'm not positive. The bottom line is they are either finished or like almost finished being totally approved to do refugee foster care something they've been praying about and God's been leading them. There's thousands upon thousands of refugees who have lost everything from another country living on military bases in the U.S. Did you know that? That's because it's not talked about by a lot of mainstream news. You have to hunt for that kind of news. So strategically, being open-handed, the PAs have prayed about, hey, our daughter Lauren is leaving for college. How might we use the extra room in this season? 
Now, if you don't know their story, you might think, well, that's easy. They're probably empty nesters. Wrong. Lauren's the oldest of five. So that means they'll still be caring for four younger children while taking in probably a late teen refugee girl. Do you know how much crossover there is in vacancy for the room? Very little, because I think Lauren leaves this next weekend, if I'm not mistaken, for college, maybe the following one, and as soon as she's gone, they didn't start thinking about, well, how can we now use our resources? They prepped and were strategically thinking, how can we use it ahead of time such that this long process is there? So we will be praying for them. Church, I'm calling you to pray for the Pitagoy Aarons. We are joyfully looking for a new Foster the City advocate, because Jamie will be on a daily mission to serve foster youth that will be living in her home. So we joyfully off-ramp, this this church has joyfully off-ramped probably four advocates at this church because they keep taking in uh, kids who are in need and then we say, well, let's get someone else. So that's a a little word that's out to you. Um, One more thing. There's a put me in coach uh, card in front of you. It also lives digitally on your phone at all times. We will have need for some homes this coming community group season, which we'll launch next month. Um, We'll have need of some homes to open up weekly and welcome the believers to have Bible study in their home. And so oftentimes we have a community group leader and someone different who is the host so that the whole body is functioning together and working together. So if that's you, if you're interested in that, put me in coach, say I'm interested in hosting a community group this next fall. They can put that down. All right, there's more to sharing than the what, though, isn't there? It's not just a matter of what you share, it's sort of how you share it. In fact, I would say hospitality, um, the word hospitality and what it takes to be hospitable requires at least two basic things. One is the actual sharing of resources. Some people are like, talk about hospitality, they pray about it, they say it's their spiritual gift or whatever else, but they never really share anything. So it requires actually sharing it, right? But here's the second part. A spirit of welcome and openness to making new friends. A spirit of welcome and openness to making new friends. So it's not just sharing your stuff, it's how you share it. And so that takes us to our second point. Second point is this. The church is at her best when she is open-hearted, okay? Now, pretend you're at a Taylor Swift concert for a second and do this. Just humor me for a moment, okay? This is, this is what you would do if you saw Taylor from 3,000 miles away. You'd be like, Taylor, I'm so glad I'm here. The $1,000 was worth it. Okay, um, so that's, that's that. If you're fancy, Cassie was doing some, I don't even, some of you know it, but some like really fancy one yesterday. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. That's, there it is. Yeah, and I'm like, wow, there's a whole, they're like, the old people are onto this. Let's think of something new. All right, did you know God is emotional and affectionate? Did you know God gifted us with emotions? I, it's, it's staggering to me how the church can sometimes swing back and forth between intellectual and emotional. If you let the whole, the whole thing be emotional, it's a mess. If you let the whole thing be intellectual, it's a mess. God created the head and the heart to function together. Warm friendships and close relationships are actually a hallmark of Christ's spirit being active and influencing of a local group of people. I love it when people show up here and say, I don't know what it is, but I just feel the love of God here. I go, I know what it is. It's the spirit of Jesus Christ in us compelling us toward warm friendship with one another. That's what you're experiencing. 
None of us here have manufactured that. We're not trying to drum this up. I don't go through an hour ritual to try and love people. God has supernaturally gifted me with a heart for people that I've known for a long time and that I've just met. That's the spirit of Christ in us. People will know you are Christians by your love for one another. This is modeled so well here in the book of Acts. Notice that the sharing isn't cold and the hellos and goodbyes are not just stoic. Well, good to have you. Merry on your way, right? Let me just show you this. Verse five. When our days were ended, we departed and we went on our journey and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Whole families coming down to say goodbye. Verse 7, and when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. There's greeting happening. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers, catch this, received us gladly. Verse 19, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through the ministry. This morning, I did something to illustrate this point that I didn't mean to, and I apologize to Grace and Claire in the back publicly. I walked in this morning after missing an entire Sunday, and right away I said, Hey, do we have the sermon keynote uh, downloaded yet? I got right to business. That's actually not like me, that's not my norm. I caught myself and I said, Oh, good morning, by the way. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, I jumped right to business. Church, it's so instructive that, that here in verse 19, after greeting them, after greeting them, then he began to relate all the things God's accomplishing amongst the Gentiles. This is so important. How many of you grew up in a church where almost every Sunday there was a meet and greet time? Raise your hand. Okay, that was definitely our church. Now, let's just, again, truthful honesty here. How many of you did not like the meet and greet time on a weekly basis? Raise your hand. Okay. I actually kind of like it. I know my wife. She boldly, proudly put her hand up. Let's have meaningless small talk for the next 30 seconds, right? For, for sevens on the Enneagram extra, extroverts, we're like, hey, how you doing? Like, I want to meet people. In fact, we visited, my, I'm a little wired today, huh? I tell you, you ever give me one week off from you guys, it gets like this. We visited my friend's church. This is a guy that we were in each other's weddings together. And I said, I'm going to just be an introvert today. So we're in a church of this size. We show up with our whole family. We're sitting in a middle row. And there is meet and greet time. And I'm like, <laughs> like I'm trying to hold it together. I'm, I'm not reaching out. I'm not turning to anyone. Here's the bizarre thing. I, don't, I think one person finally, after an awkward 26 seconds, finally said, are you new here? Like, duh. I mean, it's a pretty small church and we're obviously new. All right, let me move on. All this to say, greeting is important. Taking time to see people well is really, really important. I'll tell you something I love about um, the general tone of those who attend our third service. Because we're doing meetings together and we have band time together and all these different things, you know what third service people tend to be really, really good at? They take the time, which feels inefficient to me, San Jose American Dave, If I walk into this room and the band is playing, my greeting will be, hey guys, what's up? It's so good to see you guys. You know what third service will do? I have some third service people here. So here's what they'll do. 
they will take the time to come and be like, Andres, how are you, brother? Man, it's so good to see you. Yeah. See, he's not shocked by this. Now, I wouldn't stop there. I would go to Bella. I would go to Lucas. I would go to Mitch. I would just do the whole thing. And you know what? I'm starting to, I'm starting to acclimate to our third service, trying to see people well and greet them well. I want to see them and say not only hello, but goodbye to them really, really well. That actually takes some intentionality to me. My love for them isn't any different than when if I walk in and say, hey, greetings, everyone. But I'm learning things from our third service. Like, it's really good to go around and say hello. My daughter just married into a Mexican family. Guess how they greet each other? Personally and individually. Hello and goodbye every time. It's just like this cultural thing we can kind of learn from each other. We see this in the scriptures. Right before this scene, flip open your Bible to to Acts 20 for a second. Look at verse 36. This is the farewell scene at Ephesus. He calls the elders together and he gives some final words and then this in verse 36, chapter 20. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they, had, and they accompanied him to the ship. This is one of my favorite scenes in the Bible. I actually really love this because I just think how sweet it is to have ministered well together and to have done what 1 Thessalonians 2.18, where Paul writes this. He says, we loved you so much, catch this, that we shared with you, there's our word, not only the good news, but our own lives as well. That's the word share. That's what it embodies here at Neighborhood Bible Church. We don't just share the good news with you. I wasn't just some stoic preacher. We shared life together. We broke bread together. We laughed and cried together. And that's why there's affection and emotion at the end of this. Paul is moving on, but the work at Ephesus must continue. All right, here's my NBC example of this. I have a little list that I've been uh, keeping. I think I look back, and I've been keeping it maybe since 2009. And it's called my gone but not forgotten prayer list. It's under a prayer subheading that I have. And gone but not forgotten is filled with people who, are, who have moved on from Neighborhood Bible Church so that I won't forget to keep praying for them and keep thinking on just the way they've impacted and shaped this church. What's kind of cool is one of the last ones to leave um, that, that made that list is from um, October of 2022. It's the Chia family. And Tracy Chia is actually back with us. We keep stealing her back to play acoustic guitar. So give it up for Tracy in the back. I warned her. I said, you might make the sermon this morning, but don't worry. You don't have to do anything. Just kind of cool that she's here. You know what else is kind of neat? Unbeknownst to me until a few minutes ago, Brett Tsunami is sitting in the front row and Brett is back. I love it. If you ever move away, if you go to a different state and you're in town and you don't come back to NBC, you will break your pastor's heart. I love that you know you have a place to come back here and just worship with us. It's fun to to kind of be that. Um, I also add individuals who have moved on from here to their eternal home. We've had deaths in a family because that's how life goes. And so they've made our gone but not forgotten list. And um, I want to add one more today, and um, his name is Mike Elix. It's his last Sunday with us. He's sitting right here. Now, Mike, adding you to this list, this is not prophetic that you're going to your eternal home. (laughs) 
I, I mean, I just want to clarify that. Now, now it could happen. Because uh, any, day, any day can mean a lot of things. But um, I want to say, Mike, um, we're going to really, really miss you. Uh, Mike's been involved. I was thinking about Mike and all the different ministries Mike's been involved in over the years. Um, and those are just, those are just touch points. Um, it's really about friendship. It's about getting to spend time with each other, um, the way that you've influenced our church uh, family, the way our church family has influenced you. Um, if you missed it, uh, Mike just shared a, a really incredible part of his testimony and his story with us. Um, I don't even know when. Oh, it was when the, the youth left for Hume. It was that Sunday. Um, and had the courage to share it a couple of times. It's hard to share it once. Uh, but God's done incredible, incredible things uh, through you, Mike, and blessings. He's moving off to Centennial, Colorado. Um, and so I think he's our fourth family from NBC that now live in Colorado. So we have a little NBC Midwest contingent going, or Rocky Mountain NBC, something like that. Um, let me pray for you, brother, uh, as you go. I'm going to kneel because that's what we see in the scriptures that they knelt. God, I just thank you so much for my brother Mike. Um, God, we know things in some ways won't change. Uh, we're just eternally friends and are a phone call, a text away. Um, but Lord, it, it does grieve us not to see Mike come walking in each Sunday like he does. And so I thank you that you're already at work in Colorado. I thank you, God, that you've already steered him and led his heart for a place to live, a job. We pray for the right church for him to plug into. Thank you, God, that he's on the hunt and asking you about that. So we just pray your rich blessing on, on Mike as he heads out and to help us to show um, our love to him as he, as he leaves us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. <clears throat> Man, I could go on and on, but let me just mention some names that have gone out from us recently. Harrison, uh, Lauren Pitigoy, Aaron, David Collins, AJ, Zach, these are all seniors from this year who've all gone off and here's what's really powerful. They're going to be missed. This is just me thinking off the top of my head. They're going to be missed because they've been present. I think that's a great goal, by the way. Be missed at your church. If you don't show up for a while, um, have it be so that you're, you're missed. And one of the ways you do that is just to see people and greet people and participate. Romans 12 gives us this instruction. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What a defense it is to the truth claims that we make when we love one another deeply. Finally, the church is at her best when she is open-minded. Here's what I want you to do for this one. Okay, open-handed is this, remember that? And then open-hearted, don't think Taylor Swift, think Jesus. Okay, is this? Here's open-minded. Open-minded is this. Okay, ready? Everyone do that. Here's what I want, here's what I want you to be open-minded to. The Bible actually gives us instruction on how to be open-minded and closed-minded, guarded. There's a time to unlock your door and welcome in. There's a time to barricade your door and not welcome in. The reason the hand motion is this is because I want us as a church, I want you as an individual Christian to be open-minded to the ever-expanding, mind-blowing mission of God. The ever-expanding, mind-blowing mission of God. How did uneducated disciples who actually got railed by the establishment, who are these guys? 
Why are they teaching in the temple? Throw them in jail. They're, they're converting people in jail. Get them out of jail. They're back at the temple. Beat them up. That's helping the cause. Throw them back in jail. I mean, this is the ping pong thing that's going on in the book of Acts. How is it that they start in an upper room and now they're expanding to the known part, like the, the, the very far reaches of the known world? Well, it's because God has an ever-expanding, mind-blowing mission called disciples of the whole nations, of the whole world. And if we leave it to what we think is possible, if we leave it to how we think it can be accomplished, I guarantee you it will be too small. It will just be way too small. Like everything else we would come up with on our own. I want you to know that following Jesus is often confusing. Remember this from uh, early on in the book of Acts. That the path is clear, but the fog remains. What's the path? The path is this steel thing called the Golden Gate Bridge. Whether we can see it or not, it's there. Keep walking. The path are the things God has very clearly given to you. We are confident because God has made many things very plain and obvious and sure. Make disciples. I'm with you always. Keep going. That's the path. Walk in holiness. That's the path. Don't jump off the side of the bridge, right? Don't sin. That's the path. There's many, many things. They're very plain and obvious. Don't sit around waiting for the will of God. You already know what it is. So that's the path. What's the fog? The fog is all that's mysterious. All the rest of life that's utterly confusing and mysterious. To be a Christian is to be confused. It's to be really clear on some things. Clear like you've never been, but it's also to be confused. Look at the leadership of the Spirit just in this chapter. Look at verse 4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Through the Spirit, the Spirit's guidance. How about verse 11? And coming to us, he took Paul's belt around his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver them into the Gentiles. Over and over and over, Dr. Luke has reported on the Spirit's leadership in the early church. We see why there's urgency that has overcome Paul, because God has shown him the path. Flip over to 19, verse 21 for a second. Acts 19, 21. Here's a synopsis of the entire rest of the book. This is why Paul is so adamant that he must keep moving. It says, Paul resolved in the Spirit. You got to circle that word and have a conversation with the Lord. What does it look like, God, to be resolved in the spirit over a certain task or idea or direction? I want that. Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. In the story, the year is now 57 AD. He makes it to Jerusalem in this chapter. That was chapter 19. We're now in 21. He makes it to Jerusalem just like he thought he would. And he's about to endure a two-year ordeal of captivity and endless court proceedings. He will, in fact, head to Rome, which is where the book of Acts ends. So right here in 1921, we see God's already revealed to Paul what's, what's, what's going to be the end of Team Paul. You're going to Jerusalem. You're going to end up in Rome, the absolute capital of the world. You're going to preach the gospel there. But now listen for the fog. He's walking on the golden gate going, I know Jerusalem and I know Rome. I don't really know much beyond that. Look at verse 22 of Acts chapter 20. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Here it is again. Constrained by the Spirit, 
not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. God never promises a fully explained plan, but he promises an ongoing conversation. Think about this earlier today. I said, God, earlier this week, I just wrote down, God, help me to remain as committed to the conversation as you are. You're not going anywhere in this conversation. Through the highs, the lows, the easy, the hard part, you're committed to being in an ongoing conversation with me. He never promises a well-laid-out plan with all the details and specifics. Following Jesus is often confusing to you, but also to those around you. There's always fog that accompanies the Christian life. It's why the Christian life requires faith. Plan on being mistaken for being crazy as a Christian, even by other Christians. I want you to watch for open-mindedness in the part of these believers. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 describes that while he was there, this prophet comes down and begins to do what I just read. He takes a belt, he binds Paul up and says, the owner of this belt is going to, have, is going to be treated this way by the, Jew, by, by the Jews in Jerusalem. That's exactly what happened. And then verse 12, when we heard this, we, the people there, urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's writing this? Dr. Luke. So Dr. Luke is on the side of Team Stay. He says, we urged him. He inserts himself into the narrative. He was there. He was saying, Paul, don't do this. This is foolhardy. Don't go and, and do that. The church needs you. This mission still needs you around. Paul wouldn't be swayed. We know why he's not swayed. Because he's constrained by the Spirit. He's already had conversations with the Lord that say, this is what I have for you. There's no contradiction in what the Holy Spirit is telling this prophet and what the Holy Spirit is telling Paul, although it seems like there's some conflict. What do you do when one camp in the church says, the Holy Spirit's prompting me, I'm really clear, I've read this passage, this is on my heart, and another side of the church says, no, we're equally convinced this way, and there's at odds. That's what's happening here. The prophet never said the one who owns this belt is going to be treated this way and therefore must not go to Jerusalem. It doesn't say that. It actually just says what Paul already knows. It's old news to Paul. Wherever you go, Paul, the rest of your days, you're just going to be like beat up and imprisoned and in court stuff. So if that's your prayer, like stop praying that. Like that's over. That's how the rest of your life is going to go. Paul already knew all this. So here's a really powerful thing I want you to grab. The gospel makes spiritual friendships that last forever. When Paul's friends disagree with him, catch this, they don't cancel him. When Paul's friends disagree with him, they don't cancel him. So church, let's learn to disagree without disowning. Amen? That's what the Spirit of Jesus Christ does. Not, I can't talk to you anymore. Not judgment about, well, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, only I am. There's a time to set down the discussion and the persuading and the reasoning. Let's reintroduce an old phrase that Christians through the centuries have known, which is this, the Lord's will be done. That's what they say at the end. They say, well, we're not going to convince this guy. The Lord's will be done. And that's a way of just saying, you know what? Uh, you follow Jesus. We trust you. 
Let me invite Tao to come on up right now. I'm really convinced if you follow Jesus close enough and long enough, he will lead you out into some deep waters. And when you're way outside the boat, this is a biblical reference, by the way, in case you don't catch it. Tao, go up there. I'm going to be back in a second. If you're way outside here of the boat and you're following Jesus, you will hear 11 other people, close, godly, Christian disciples, saying, get back here. It's dangerous out there. What are you doing? You're crazy. You follow Jesus close enough and long enough, he will call you to deep waters that look psycho to your other, to your other Christian friends. So in that moment, you're tested whose voice is loudest, Jesus, whom is your Lord and Savior, or others. We, in our adoption journey, had people along with us every step of the way, and then certain family members that once we hit a certain number, they were the ones in the boat. Get back here. What are you doing? Enough with the kids already. Like, you've got a house full. Come back. Come back where it's safe. And we would lovingly say, our life, our family is ruled by a monarchy, not by a democracy. King Jesus is calling us to do this. Thank you for your input. Thank you for your concern. We're not taking a vote. This is a Christian life. This is how you follow Jesus. Tao is really relatively new, and um, she's a part of our community group. She's a part of our church family. And Tao came to mind when I was thinking about how can we illustrate this in a very real, tangible, immediate way here at Neighborhood Bible Church. Um, Tao, because she had shared some of this with me and with our community group, came to mind. So I've asked her to share a little bit um, just about decisions made that might cause confusion for others. Hi, everyone. Um, Hi. I once heard a joke. A teacher asked a student, what do you want to be when you grow up? The student says, I want to be happy. Teacher says, no, I think you misunderstand the assignment. The student said, no, I think you misunderstand life. (laughs) And this is my story. When I was 10, I had these grand visions of me teaching pilots how to fly. I was in Vietnam. There was no one flying (laughs) around. But people said that I'm a small girl. And no one would listen to me. So I stayed quiet. I went into my closet, and I taught my stuffed animals. When I was 20, I had these visions of leading fleets of airplanes flying around. But people said that flying is not for women. So I got a corporate job, and I learned how to fly on my days off. When I was 30, I had these visions of building a business. I just loved the idea of being an entrepreneur. But people have said that, you know, it's much safer to work in corporate, to work in a job because it's more financially secure. So I, get a, I got a corporate job. And on the side, I started writing all these business plans. But what I noticed is whenever I start following what people said, I was really emotionally depressed. I was physically broken. And I was spiritually lost. I didn't know what I was doing. So as I listen to Dave's sermons and I read the Bible, I realize that through this clouds of confusion of what he says and she says, there's also what God says. And God has given me really clear directions. It's cloudy, but I have this very clear visions of this is what I want to do. So I quit my job. I moved to a new apartment. And I created time in my schedule to go to church, to go community groups. I made that a priority for me because I decided to let go of what people says and I follow what God says, what he tells me. So now I teach people how to fly. I plan adventure trips with fleets of airplanes like our last 
trip to the backcountry of Idaho. And I just have been promoted to assistant chief pilot so I can grow our business at our flight school. And I'm happy. I'm happier than I've ever been. And I thank God every day for what he's done for me. I thank God for my church community, Taylor and the Donato family, because they helped me stay faithful to the visions that I've been gifted. And I know that my choice confused my family, confused my friends, but I'm okay with that because no matter what people say, I know what God says to me. And I know he's always with me, and I know he's only a prayer away. Thank you for listening. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Awesome. What a picture of just, again, sort of expanding uh, something God put on Tal's heart and expanding that vision. In community group, she would come kind of week after week, and she was making these big major decisions um, and utterly confident. And she just kept saying, yeah, this is the bridge. Like, I'm really clear of this part. There's a lot of things that people are trying to warn me about, but that doesn't bother me. I know God's calling me in this direction. That's alive and well here. I wrap up with this. The the secret sauce. What's the secret sauce to this? I had to grab this picture of this little hobbit-looking door church. It looks just looked amazing. Um, church is not a building. Lucas said that in the opening. I don't think he knew this is exactly where the sermon was going, but the church is not a building. It's us. And uh, we don't need to wait for some certain conditions or some certain person to show up or some certain program. All of this. Isn't this shockingly simple and accessible? I mean, we can do this today. We can do this in the next five minutes. We can do this on our phone while the preacher's preaching. There are just ways to be walking in these ways, and we see it laid out in the scriptures. Get moving is our community group theme for the year, Um, and God has given us clear direction, but also clear energy on how to do that. I want to wrap up our time with this. Um, This is our own church now, sort of moving and thinking to us specifically, not the capital C church, but this local church body. Um, Even though the sign is now faded, this is back when the sign was brand new or due for a new sign. But what a great truth. The truth hasn't faded for Neighborhood Bible Church, that we are an always open church in multifaceted ways, right? That God is doing things. We're open to renewal, We're hopeful and positive that God can and will keep renewing what's going on here. 